This is the Constructionist Podcast, where we take ancient stories, the person of Jesus, current events and topics, and help you construct a new Christian worldview that's relevant and loving to those around you. I'm your host, Kevin Bates. I'm a semiotician and community builder, looking at the signs of the times to build a better future together. Well, good evening, everybody. You t- you are tuned in to the Constructionist Podcast, and tonight we are starting with a topic that is our basic existence. So we, so we desire for you to navigate with us through a framework of what we'll call a worldview. That worldview, of course, we desire to be relevant and loving to people. So this idea has been emerging for a while for us over the last handful of weeks. We've taken a break from our podcast, which thank you for giving us that time just to rethink uh, what we're doing and how we're doing it. And of course, we saw Rob in the little screen right in the bottom left corner. Rob does a great job in the the behind the scenes. He's our tech person. So every once in a while, he ends up on the screen. Uh, But uh, that is Rob. And I'm joined with Sherea and Jake, two of my associates. And over the last handful of weeks, we have been emerging this topic inside of us uh, when it comes to Christianity, construction, deconstruction, and what it all means. So a lot of times we get trapped in deconstruction. We get trapped in the deconstruction mode where we don't like something, so we then begin to pull it apart or deconstruct it. We hate on it a little bit. And when you hate on something long enough and we spend enough time hating on something, a lot of times we uh, we don't end up constructing anything. We just end up our practices to hate on that thing. So constructionism is putting the building blocks back together. So we are in the constructing question where we are asking what does it mean to construct and what does constructionism look like versus just deconstruction. I think deconstruction is important when it comes to values, faith, ethics, morality, everything. We need to deconstruct things in order to construct new things. And sometimes, though, our rebellion of old ways, which is important in some cases, uh, but our rebellion in old ways or old theologies or old thinking can just perpetuate a new set of toxic values. So if we don't know where we're going, we're going to end up probably just being exactly the same. There's going to be no growth if we don't have a goal or a target that we're growing through. So in counseling and all of my counseling that I've done, there's been a growth point where we're, okay, we're here and we need to get here. We have a vision in mind of where we want to end up to. We explore through those things. We feel through that. And that's all about constructing. And along the way, sometimes we need to deconstruct in order to construct. So we need a framework. We need a framework of construction. And so we are adopting tonight and reclaiming, we'll call it a reclamation. Uh, We are reclaiming uh, the idea of a worldview. Some of you have heard that topic before, worldview. You're familiar with that. Uh, That's just going to give us a language to the framework. We're not going to necessarily define it as something that you might have known in the past, but uh, it's going to define what we're doing and we're going to redefine the idea of 
worldview. So that framework is going to include lots of topics that I am excited to present along with Sheree and Jake um, on these evenings. That framework includes topics on just being human. What does it mean to be human? It includes topics of ethics and hospitality and loving our neighbor, something that uh, we were in our pre-work discussing. It's like, are we really going to love our neighbor or is that just a false promise? Um, identity, theology, eschatology, where in the world are we going? Is there an afterlife? Is there something after death? Ontology, the study of just being and on being. Uh, the human consciousness, and is that really power? Do we have power in our human consciousness? Um, can we existentially direct our human consciousness to another person across the world? Do our prayers actually work? When we direct our human consciousness into positive thoughts in the universe, what does that actually mean? So we're going to discuss human consciousness, existentialism, nihilism, knowledge and tacit knowledge it includes topics like such things so knowledge and tacit knowledge the things that we're just born with that we know fire is hot we don't need to get burned by fire in order for to know that it's hot we just know it's hot maybe that's a tacit knowledge you have personal methodology personal praxis and this is going to be one of my favorite topics that we'll probably spend the rest of our lives on is this the honest reality of the world around us an honest reality of the world around us i think we're trapped now in politics and culture that we just do not have an honest reality of the world around us we have a anti-reality or an anti-version of reality but maybe we need to rethink what reality really is. So our goal is to develop a framework, a worldview, develop our personal views together. And we're not going to depend on a news channel to do that for us, right? No news channel anchor is going to develop our worldview. No rock star pastor is going to develop our worldview. They're not going to do that for us. We have all the tools inside of us all the tools within our resources or relationships around us to develop such things is to lean on those things to depend on those things we can do this together so you have heard maybe you have heard of the term biblical worldview maybe you've heard that before maybe you've just heard the term christian worldview religious worldview or maybe just worldview in general we're going to unpack all that tonight there's a lot of definitions around those things. There's lots of meaning around those things. It means different things to different people. It means different things to different cultures across the world. What is a biblical Christian worldview? If we can answer what does that mean, if we can answer what a biblical Christian worldview actually means, then we can put together a framework to maybe develop it and look at the differences of what we believe. So those of you who listen uh, through these weeks, our hope is that through our time together that we will begin to create space to think. We will create space to carve out and develop and maybe emerge out of these discussions with a new Christ Jesus worldview something that maybe matches 
the early church or maybe matches a biblical worldview more than what's being promoted as a biblical worldview. So if you are listening to us tonight, you are our supporters, and we are thankful for that. We're thankful that you join us each and every week. And so the most important way that you can support us is to listen and to interact with us. <clears throat> so every Thursday night, now at 8 o'clock, we've moved our time to 8 p.m., and so every Thursday night at 8 p.m., we are going to be on some social media channel that you can access. So whatever social media channel you listen to, you can interact with that social media channel and you can, we will answer live those questions. Or you can just listen to this over and over and over again and support us that way too. And through the week, we'll look for those chat bombs and we will definitely try to answer all of your questions. You can financially support us by going to into the chat box underneath on Facebook Live or in our show notes on YouTube. There will be a link to our, uh, to our website platform that you can give online at ResonateLife.com. Org. So those are the two ways that you can support us. All right, I'm very excited to be with you tonight, and we're going to get into the main ideas and the reason why we are discussing uh, these things. So let's get into the main body of our material. Even if it's jumpy and even if it's pixelated, hopefully people can still listen uh, to what we are, what we're talking about. All right. So a while back, I kept seeing some postings. And in those postings, George Barna was reporting that only a certain number of pastors were or adhered to a what he called a biblical worldview. So those percentages went like this. 41% of senior teaching type pastors had a biblical worldview. 28% associate type pastors had a biblical worldview. 12% of youth children type pastors had a biblical worldview. So these percentages were hailed across the internet as Christianity is moving into a dark place. Christianity was basically basically moving into the dark ages of, of faith. And the sky is falling proof that Christianity was uh, we were we were off base. We were off off track. And I watched a lot of conservative right leaning pastors. I'll just call it out that doubled down on some of their mantras during this time when those statistics came out. Now was the time to tighten the belt. Now was the time to to double down on I guess conservative values and what I'll call tight lipped uh, versions of scripture where there was no allowances or no room for interpretation or different ideas, views, or beliefs about scripture. Well, this bothered me. It bothered me a lot because I have different views of scripture than some of my pastors and my colleagues that I have around. Even the three of us have different views of scripture. Uh, and you will notice that as we, uh, as we go along. And so I don't necessarily hold to a set of principles that maybe some of my colleagues from other states hold to. And so to say that one of us doesn't hold a biblical worldview, that's pretty audacious to say. I think that that's uh, maybe judgmental and not necessarily where we need to be. So I 
had a problem with that. I started trying to look for, uh, I tried to look for um, what the definition of a biblical view, worldview was. If George Barna was going to call us out and say that I didn't hold a biblical worldview or Sharia didn't hold a biblical worldview or I did and Sharia didn't, why don't we define that a little bit? And to find that information on the internet was very difficult. It was difficult to find where a solid universal definition of a biblical worldview was. So we finally found the document, George Barna's material on what he believed a biblical view of worldview was. So we have that document uh, with us tonight. And that started me on this journey of discovery of what is a worldview and what is a biblical worldview. So over the next seven weeks, we are going to cover this, cover the topic of the biblical worldview or the Christian worldview. So tonight is our introduction. Next week, we're going to talk about a real honest view of the world. I don't necessarily believe that everybody has a, doesn't necessarily have a uh, honest view of the world. Uh, following that, we're going to talk about where we are headed and the afterlife, so eschatology. And is there a heaven or a hell? I have a different version of hell than most of my colleagues. So we're going to talk about this. And you know what's funny is I have these texts coming across my computer right now. So I got a little distracted there. Probably need to turn those off during our, our broadcast. But some of those is, I think the goal of every Thursday night is to get fired. Well... <laughs> Stuff from back when I was teaching, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> right so right <laughs> this guy, this guy cannot be hired anywhere. I mean, these Barna? people can't. No, no, us. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oops. <laughs> so we're gonna talk about heaven and hell, and we're gonna talk about the differences of hell. Hell is one of those topics that if you talk about hell. Man, you are up on the chopping block if you're a minister pastor of some kind and you start talking about a different version of hell. For some reason, people have guilt and shame around hell that hell needs to be real and exist and be like that place that we send those sinners to. And if you don't, if you don't have that, the same fiery furnace, literal place of hell that I do, then you're walking on thin ice right to hell. Okay, so we're going to talk about heaven and hell and eschatology. Then a topic that I'm really going to get into is what would Jesus really do? Really? What would Jesus really do? That's our practice. That's our methodology of life. Uh, then in the fifth week, we're going to talk about how we attain these goals. What's our, what's our praxis of life followed then by what is truth? What is falsehood? Uh, what is real truth? Are there absolute truths? How do we determine truth? That's the epistemology theory of knowledge and how basically tacit knowledge fits into all of that. And then we're going to put some building blocks together of construction and look at the origin and the basis of our worldview. So that's the outline of the next seven weeks. I'm very excited for that. And these are actually based off of an atheist philosopher named Leo Apostol. And Leo Apostol, uh, I think Dutch or, yeah, I'd have to look that up again, uh, what country he was from. But he is uh, 
an atheist philosopher that came up with the structure of worldviews that we're going to use. And I want to use a perceived atheist and then in parallel, in tandem, uh, what do Christians believe a worldview is in comparison to what an atheist believes a worldview is? Very, very uh, different and similar at the same time. So I hope that these discussions are rich. I hope that they are, they develop a framework, give you some thinking space, give you some time to develop some intelligence, give you some time that you can speak authoritatively into your own life and into the world and culture. And this is the framework that's going to develop, I hope, your own personal worldview, how you see the world, society, and culture around you. So this is why the church is in trouble. I believe that we have differing of opinions on so many things and how so many things should be, so many truths that uh, we perceive or we proclaim, so many judgments that we issue, so many cultural criticisms that we uh, proclaim. And it has caused the church and Christianity to be galvanized and isolated and deemed irrelevant by the people around us. So I believe we can change that. I think we can make a difference. And that's why we're going to move from deconstructing to constructing a new world view. So Sheree is going to take it over for the next handful of minutes, and she is going to cover the discussion of worldviews and, and how many are there what is a worldview, basically, and are there main worldviews? Are there sub-worldviews? What's a worldview? Why are we talking about this, Sharia? Take it over. Speak to me. Do we need to define worldview first? Yeah, do it. Do it. Yeah. Um, I mean, put simply, it's how you see the world, right? Um, I think a worldview is a set of beliefs um, that are sometimes unconsciously held. We, we don't always realize that we hold these beliefs, um, but they work together in a mostly coherent system that all works yeah. together and makes sense together. And I say mostly because when we have those unexamined things or those unconsciously held beliefs, we can sometimes have contradictions in our system of belief that we don't realize are there. Um, but if we're thinking about it and, and like purposefully trying to figure these things out, we can move towards a coherent worldview. Um, there are yeah. lots of worldviews, depending on who you ask. Um, there's also a lot of books written about worldviews, uh, particularly from Christian authors, because this is a big thing in in Christian thinking and trying to talk about what religions are correct and all that. Um, when I was teaching, my senior Bible class was all on worldviews. Um, so we did a survey for a school year. We worked through this book. Here's my show and tell. The Universe Next Door by James Sire. Mm -hmm. I still like this one. Um, so yeah, we took a whole school year to talk about different worldviews, and now we're going to do it in, I think, seven minutes. So Sweet. Buckle up. <laughs> buckle up. Um, Rob has a chart that we're going to put up um, that I think is the easiest way to visualize it. So Rob, if you could put that up. Thank you. Okay. 
So this works from The Universe Next Door, the book I just held up, and it shows one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight worldviews. And so we see those along the top of the chart. Christian theism, deism, perfect. Naturalism, nihilism, existentialism, pantheism, new age, spirituality, and postmodernism. Um, and then if you look at the left-hand side of the chart, there's a series of eight worldview questions. So the way um, James Sire sets up this idea of worldview is to take these eight questions and look how these different frameworks would answer those questions. So question number one is, what is really real? Is it the spiritual world? Is it the material world? Is it both? Is it neither? And so we can see across the top how different worldviews answer that question. So within Christian theism, we would say that both spirit and matter are real. And we would say that God is the ultimate reality. As you move over one, we look at deism. God exists and God is transcendent, but God is not personal. Um, so we start to see a shift towards the material world as being more important. If we move a column over to materialism or naturalism, this is a worldview that believes God does not exist, that believes spiritual things don't exist, that matter is the only thing that exists and ever will exist. We see that similarly with nihilism. Um, so these two worldviews are the same, at least at the reality question. Um, as we move further along into existentialism, again, we have God does not exist. Um, into pantheism, there's a shift to the spiritual things being what is really real. And um, the material world is more of an illusion. So there's a greater importance put on spirituality. We see the same thing in New Age spirituality, besides um, there being no belief in a personal God. Um, and, then, and then there's postmodernism, and that is a whole other thing. Um, and I see Tiffany's comment here. Yes, this chart is... Um, in relation to the book I just mentioned, The Universe Next Door. So I have a question, Sharia, right in the middle of your chart here. Is New Age yeah. just the garbage dump that everyone, th like just, we just throw everything in New Age that we don't understand? Uh, yes and no. Um, you'd have to read the book, Kevin, no. Um, <laughs> well, I haven't read the book. You just introduced it to me tonight, yeah. so not that fast like of a reader. The story of new age spirituality is essentially god the personal god doesn't exist however if humanity would just get enlightened then we are all gods and we just got to do the right practices to find our divinity um, okay and so you have things like manifestation and, you right. know, I think, um, like folk religions could fit into that as we're seeing resurgence of those things. 
but yeah, anything we don't understand really well usually gets dumped in the New Age spirituality. Because the New Age spirituality to me is is more of a blend of Eastern mm -hmm. mysticism. Yeah. So we have a little bit of Hindu Buddhism um, coming into play, although mm -hmm. we can we can okay. define those as we want to define them in American. Yeah. Eastern mysticism. Right. If you if you remove a religion from its dominant uh, context, okay. yeah, then you know you can kind of mishmash. You know, like I, I'm not a Hindu, but I practice Hindu principles in yoga, right, or something like that. We don't necessarily uh, subscribe to the whole Hindu theology or existence <laughs> as jake has a buddha on his wall <laughs> or buddha you know the eightfold path of the dharma um which i have somewhere uh, on my shelf oh it's way up there i'll, I'll get it the eightfold path of the dharma yeah. is an eastern mysticism type idea but then we mm -hmm. take it out of context and we just kind of turn it into a spirituality versus a practice yeah so it kind of becomes to me like this it's kind of like saying well i'm postmodern." does that mean that you're just anything but what your you know dad and mom believed i mean i just i don't understand what postmodern actually means i mean so go ahead i'm sorry for interrupting no worries i mean do you want to do you want to do the same thing all the way down the chart um, is there a way we can put the chart <laughs> resources so people can click on it and peruse yeah out there okay oh kevin's gone yeah kevin's gone you're muted sorry i muted myself uh accidentally tech issues all over the place so <clears throat> So put up the chart again, Rob, and let's look at it again. We can put it in full full view. Well, let's oh, see. So yeah. we didn't go through the eight questions um, on the left hand oh, side. We just perfect. looked at that first one to see how the chart worked. Um, okay. So number one, which we looked at, is what is really real. Question number two asks about the nature of reality. Um, so in this case is the universe chaotic is the universe ordered is the universe going anywhere in particular um and how we answer that question fits within a given worldview um question number three asks what is a human being question number four asks how it's possible to know anything um how do we know what we know question number five is the meaning of history Question number six is what happens after death? Question seven is how do we know right from wrong? And it looks like question eight isn't on this chart. Um, so the chart might be from an old edition of the book. Um, but question number eight is essentially um, if, we, if we believe all of these things, how then are we supposed to act? What does it look like to act in light of our answers to these seven questions? So this is the symbol wheel of the Eightfold Path of Buddhism. Yeah. So this move is it, the wheel. Move it to your right a little bit. Oops, sorry. There we go. Yeah, perfect. Too okay. far. So this right, is the eighth. Are. There we go. 
the Eightfold Path of Buddhism, you'll see this, uh, oh, you'll see this on different um, images or different carvings or such in, this is actually made out of sand, so I have to be very careful with it, but this is the representation. So, you know, this sits in my house up on the top shelf of my bookcase behind me, so I guess that is, uh, that is new age. I'm bringing in new age spirituality in my in my house. It's a little bit of appropriation, I guess. I guess, but that's like hijacking, I guess, or or mm -hmm. cherry picking um, mm -hmm. some idea because that actually is a dharma. That's a practice. That's you know the eightfold path of enlightenment. Right. Enlightenment or nirvana means to blow off and become at one with Brahma. So Brahma is the supreme God within basically the divine of all of us. And that's, and that's really where like religious worldviews become very connected. If I could just so step out of the Christian box for a moment and just maybe explicate something here where we're all made from atoms and electrons are flowing around those protons, neutrons. Those are broken down into quarks and, and smaller and smaller they go. But if you begin to look at the actual matter that everything is made out of, like our phones or this piece of paper, everything is energy. Everything is space and energy moving at such a high speed that it creates a solid space or creates a solid matter. And what makes up that matter is, of course, the DNA that it's, you know, building if it's organic, you know, building blocks of of DNA, which makes our, of course, our body and makes me different than everybody else. So we're all just a sense of vibration. We're all just a sense of like tuning forks that are being hit. So when it comes to the Hindu practices, new age practices, there actually is some like more blue paper, probably research, but there is some sense of of cohesion that that when I meditate and pray it actually does something so that's something that I share with many religions around um, or when I practice silence it actually does something it does something for me it does something for when I shut my mouth it does something for you so, <laughs> so, so <clears throat> the practice that we have of meditation prayer silence solitude these things actually bring a sense of healing between people and healing between well even within ourselves so i think about like new age spirituality and where people think oh those people are just you know wearing orange robes and you know kind of crazy up on hills or something i think that that's you know really an immature kind of look at a eastern practice because the eastern practices have been around for millennia lot longer than we have and so so when you think about the Easterns they have a lot of oh they have a lot of of I guess practice they've efficacy. practiced it for a long yeah efficacy they've had they've practiced it for a long time so <laughs> just to discount them into some some you know garbage bin I think we've done that for a long time I think we need to stop doing that uh, yeah 
I think my question from the chart and looking at all of all of the worldviews is do you, do you choose your worldview or is it chosen for you? That's a great question. That is a great question. I would, I would say yes, more, more me. leaning, more leaning chosen for you almost. Okay. I think, I mean, I think we get born into families who hold worldviews and those things get passed to us um, yeah. as the windows are. Um, so unless we know to question that, then I do think it is something that's just given to us. So you have family of origin, culture of origin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Say, but would you, say, could you reframe your question and say your original adopted worldview or your original worldview as a child or a young adult. Some people can never break out of that for some reason. They they can't choose a different thought pattern or, or style of life. Uh, Is that because of access or what do you think? Could be. Well, I think that there's it like linguistics definitely, definitely affect your worldview. Um, cultural cultural access uh there's a term a german term called weltanschauung that weltanschauen weltanschauen that's how you pronounce it weltanschauen which is like over a long period of time your cognitive reality over a long period of time so that like even into generations mm -hmm. that develops your that's a wide worldview they call it weltanschauung can't or won't give us a little more context there tiffany won't change or can't change well their worldview yeah yeah can't or won't yeah did i say can't i probably more will won't <laughs> belonging also play a huge role yeah yeah um, wanting to so. feel part of a community is powerful and i i think a lot of us will betray ourselves and our questions for a long time before we'll call into question what the rest of the community believes. I thinking about the question, I, I would say that in order to change your worldview, I almost feel like it's, it's a place of privilege in order to change it mm. um, and not that there's any right or reason to not and so a lot of our worldviews changes through trauma through um, and trauma could even be in the sense of of educational um, epiphanies that you have that you have to come into uh, reconciliation with um, even to trauma in your life. I think I wonder if that would be an interesting concept to see what does what is your family of origin or or even your yeah. your traumatic existence have to do with your outlook on on the world? Probably huge. Well, could you say something, this to be true, 
that trauma can shape your worldview, but also be a huge wall of changing your worldview. It can shape and you can't change it because of trauma. So if we're, if we're buried in trauma, we need outside help, counseling therapy, such, uh, sometimes medication, sometimes, uh, more, uh, medical help that we need outside influences in order to change our worldview. So if we have a certain level of trauma, that's how we see the world is through that lens of those neural pathways of trauma. So, so triggers and such, you know, all play into our perception of worldview. I that I think is a, huh? I have a question, but yeah. Oh, I was just going to say that I think that trauma plays into shaping, but also the inability to change. I think that, uh, that take Tiffany and just kind of guess at what maybe she's, you know, or what could be asked there is if somebody is privileged, if somebody is, you know, just privileged American citizen and they have this very narrow minded view of life and they won't change. I think that's more of they won't change. Um, let's read her, read her comment. I've met many people that have experienced a change or shift in worldview after higher education. Do you think this may be a part of the reason that some traditional Christians are seemingly afraid or fearful of education? Yep. 100%. <laughs> graduate from God. Yeah, graduate from high school, graduate from God. That's what we used to say in youth group. Um, yeah, definitely. We are afraid of higher education. As Christianum all across the board, I would say that we're afraid of higher education. In the next, the next section, we're talking about the biblical Christian worldview. And so we'll, I'll address that a, a little bit, uh, a little bit deeper of the fear that that we have and even changing the worldview ourselves or allowing other people to do so as well, because you lose the power of, of truth. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the Dalai Lama t uh, wrote a book on negative emotions. And in that book, uh, the focus of course on, New age <laughs> worldview. New age older than Christianity. <laughs> yeah, new age worldview. But uh, Eastern mysticism would be that uh, positive or focusing on positive stimulus, whether that be outside or inside, the positive stimulus can begin to heal our negative stimulus, or that could be a sense of you know, even some medical things that they've attributed mm -hmm. some of the uh, some of the practices of the Dalai Lama. So the idea of of the focus or the determination to focus on positive stimulus and rejecting negative stimulus, that in and of itself, that philosophy shapes a worldview. And so so that would shape the uh the worldview of how i maybe look at negative and positive things in the world and that's what in his book the dalai lama's book on negative emotions he does address that that we just don't deny our negative emotions 
It's just what do we do with them and how do we how do we heal from them? Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, the, just that in and of itself can shape uh, worldview. So knowledge in and of itself of some higher understanding of even the divine or even a higher consciousness of self, just the higher knowledge that we can attain can shape our worldview and change our worldview. There's a, a speaker that we went to a while ago was um, Jürgen Moltmann. And one of the major concepts that he was trying to get through was thinking is transcending. Yeah. And so through using our minds, our worldview changes. And I think even if you look at the chart, however, um, to, to put people within that as those categories, um, I don't even know if you can call it a spectrum because I'm pretty sure my Christian biblical worldview uh, would not match other Christians, just to put lightly, um, <laughs> would not match a lot of a lot of Christians. And so, what do you do with um, would they call me a deist? Would I call them right. New Age because nationalism is a New Age thing? It is a New uh, Age thing, yeah. And so, how do we how do we really quantify or qualify ourselves into that into that position? Is difficult. Well, let's transition for the other fifteen minutes that we have. I think that, well, if you just bring up this idea, this one Christian principle of heaven and hell and our version of heaven and hell. And whether we think Satan is a real being, you know, living, breathing, roaming the earth, you know, indwelling certain people. Well, I might talk about this, so be careful. Yeah. So just that idea of heaven and hell shapes a reality that drives our very being, thinking, and action with what Brene Brown would say, shame, uh, guilt, shame, fear, anger, lots of different things are determined out of just our view of, of hell and Satan. So the whole Christian idea of we need to believe in a literal Satan and a literal hell. Well, we need to really carefully think through that because that does shape the way we think. And who we're afraid of, and the devil's under every rock. So, Jake, why don't you take the Christian or biblical worldview? I think I think we can just say that those two are are synonymous, especially people who use them to define themselves. Um, the what biblical, two things are? Oh, yes, not a biblical worldview or Christian worldview. Yeah, and so I think to start, I. The question that Barna posed, and it's George Barna, not the research group Barna, as, but he is the one who started it, left the organization of his own name. David Kinnaman now runs Barna, and it's uh, different than what this article is. So um, just to be clear, that there is a separation there between George Barna, who wrote the article, and also Barna Group. Um, but... A question to you both how do you determine what is right and what is wrong 
Well, whether it feels good or not. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm honest. I do think there's a certain amount of autopilot that comes into it, you know, because I have Mm -hmm. 34 years of practice living and making decisions and I tend to go with what what I've done before and, and those habits. Um, What's worked in the past? Yeah. Um, if I stop to think about what I'm doing, I hope that I stop long enough to filter through the lens of love. Mm-hmm. And sometimes my feelings don't let me get there very quickly. <laughs> yes, I, I get that. For me, I think it's pretty simple. What's right is love, the embodiment of love and showing love to others. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. And what's wrong is uh, that which shows apathy or hate. And so if you just, you know, okay, so I guess you can take that all the way down to the simplistic uh it's wrong for me to eat ice cream every day 24 7 or maybe it's right we're not talking about those right and wrong choices um well for you since you're allergic to it it definitely is a wrong choice (laughs) right but but our choices that we make that that i guess that does i mean pretty much everything if i'm an existentialist and you know if i'm an eastern mystic you know they would believe that you know all of our choices affect everything and everybody around us the butterfly effect uh, yeah yeah the ahimsa which is you know if i even eat dairy i'm affecting a cow yeah so so the the idea of love your neighbor is a filter for me and so what is right is loving your neighbor what is wrong is apathy towards neighbor do you feel like the Bible guides your decisions of what is right and what is wrong? For the most part, we're trying to get fired tonight, right? So let's just might as well do it. <laughs> I'd say for the most part, for me, um, meaning, and what I mean by that is, there's a lot of things not addressed in the Bible that I am left on my own to figure out what loving my neighbor looks like. I'm given some examples like in the parables and Jesus's, you know, red letters, but I'm not necessarily given every single example in my life. I mean, okay. I'm almost 50, yeah. so. I would agree with that. Sure, you're good, okay. Do you These are both, hard questions. Do you both believe that God is all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the universe who still rules that universe today sometimes <laughs> to a point okay i'm a, i'm an open theist so i believe that about, God is self-limiting. You're a percentage percentage I, I don't have a percentage sometimes like on my good days or bad days kind of thing <laughs> okay um, I, I don't know i it's a good response yeah okay that's perfect when Jesus... Can I can I answer just a little more clearly? When I watch babies die, right yeah. in tragic death, yeah, it's it's hard for me to to believe that God is all those in omni control. words, yeah. right? Yeah, in control. So I'm not a Calvinist. I'm a you know an extreme open theist. So I would believe that God interjects Himself when He wants, and we call upon Him to do so, and He desires or she desires. So, yeah. 
Okay. So when Jesus was on the earth, did Jesus live a sinless life? Yes. How complex was the world? Okay. (laughs) Moving forward. Uh, Satan (laughs) is not just a symbol of evil, but is a real living entity. No. Disagree. A person cannot earn their salvation by being good or doing good things for other people. That salvation is a free gift of God. Yes. Yeah, I think I agree, yeah. Are you keeping tally? No, I'm just, <laughs> just here. The Bible is totally accurate in all that it teaches. That it teaches. That, well... That's up for interpretation of how you want to interpret yeah. the Bible. Define that totally accurate in all that it teaches. Well, it teach it teaches that we can't eat pork in the Old yes, Testament, of course. Okay, so so these six questions are what define a biblical Christian worldview, according yeah. to George Barna. According to George Barna. <laughs> Um, and like he is the paramount of all Christian researchers that we have. And um, congratulations, we don't have a Christian worldview. Uh, yeah, I waffled on at least four of those six. Yeah. <laughs> so two out of ten Christians do whatever it feels best at the moment. One out of ten Christians then just making decisions life decisions take the path that is most likely to please the most people Mm. fewer than half of all christians use the bible as their guide and the same amount the religious teaching two percent of people of christians say laws and public policy dictate their decisions only half of christians believe that moral truth is absolute one out of seven Christians base their moral decisions on the Bible. And so what Barna is trying to show, um, even though I would, I would disagree with the way that he came about it, is that this idea of Christian worldview is losing, is losing ground. And especially as we get into further and further away from uh, the boomers, that we go into Gen X, Gen Z, Gen Y, whatever it is, um, we have we're losing that that moral absolutism, and so I kind of want to talk about moral absolutism, and and we can. I, I mean, I I pretty much agree that Christian worldview is to is to enact love whenever possible and so that's why in our intro video we talked about love being the basis on what we do where barna takes biblicism as the basis of christian worldview right and so there's these there's these tenets of go ahead i was just gonna say that's a tenet of evangelicalism which he is yeah so there's there's four tenets of evangelicalism and I think these actually define more of what of what their understanding of biblical or Christian worldview is. 
and it's conversionism. So the this is stated this morning. The greatest gift of love that you can give another person is to save them from hell. Yeah. I don't agree with that, but I think I, Alexander, yeah, it would be. The um, accurate. What do I what do I mean by accurate? I've <laughs> accurate in all uh, its teachings, yeah. Yeah, the Bible is accurate. Oh, See, that's yeah. that's the problem with biblical worldview like points that we read. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, so there's that is so up for interpretation and yeah. like there's so many nuances and to just make a blanket what they call proposition. I don't believe in propositional faith. So I can have to reject number one, I have to reject the idea of this systematic propositional worldview. Yeah. And so we are definitely we definitely deconstruct a lot of things. And so as a as a culture at around mm -hmm the three of us. Um, and so even, even the, uh, the accurate teaching of the Bible, I mean, just look at our Exodus series and right. Yeah. Who is the one teaching these accurate teachings? Right. Um, and what are they trying to say with them? And do they call themselves a prophet? Um, then you have the next tenet of evangelicalism is biblicism. And this is what, this is what uh, is really going to hit on hard, especially in evangelical circles right now. Um, I am not an evangelical. I never have been. Never been a part of an evangelical movement. Um, but because of conversionism, I would say that conversionism blocks it out. Biblicism has always been a thing, though, in, in most modern constructs of Christianity that our absolute truth comes from the Bible. Right. Um, so one day we're going to talk about epistemology, which is the study of knowledge and how to get to truth. And I think it is a fair, a fair foreshadowing to say that absolute truth is only based on the, on the person of God and everything else is subject to the axiom. And so that's that's another day. But to say that Biblicism is the basis of moral um Absolutism. Truth, yeah. Absolutism is is rough. Yeah, so let me let me let me oh I'm sorry, go ahead. Another tenet of evangelicalism. Crucicentrism, which is uh the sacrifice of Christ, and then activism which would be loving your neighbor. Yeah. Even have something I, to say? I just, I just was going to say the idea of moral absolutism where like morals don't change, mm -hmm. right? Or they're, they're, they've always been the same. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> when I was younger in ministry as a pastor, we had a, younger than I am now, a <laughs> woman that was uh, in a relationship with a man that she wasn't married to. And this is an embarrassing... A sexual relationship, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, uh, and this, was, this is a very embarrassing part of my ministry that I regret and have a lot of, you know, I still think about it almost 
on a regular basis. And, and she was, you know, approached to the church, Matthew 18, you know, people went to her, said, you needed to stop this relationship and, and you need to quit having sex with this person. And, and she wouldn't, she just declared that she wasn't going to stop. So then it was brought to a larger group of the eldership. So we sat around a table and we discussed, you know, a bunch of, you know, men discussed this woman's uh, sexual, yeah, their sexual relationship, which is weird in and of itself. So we sat around a table, we discussed this, and then, uh, then we brought it to the church. And in bringing it to the church, she was quote excommunicated or or told publicly that she was anathema she was outside of anathemized yeah she was anathemized so she was kicked out of the church now there's a lot of redemption in that relationship with me and her and her son where she did come back to the church and i was able to uh baptize her son on one of my last days in the church i <laughs> I see that that group thought that they were doing the they were doing the moral thing. They were looking at her as immoral. Mm -hmm. But I look at that now and say no, that whole action, that action was immoral. That was completely immoral. What we did to her was immoral. As we deem something immoral. So I think that morality possibly is absolute it's just we don't necessarily have uh in our limited knowledge we don't necessarily have a um what can i say access to what that morality is and as we grow and learn and mature we all of a sudden see what that morality is loving our neighbor what? is the moral choice and so I think if I could summarize that and sync it to what I was saying, because I think Please. you're, you're, you're right on it. Morality, that force in even, even nature. Um, I'm not talking about piety morality, but more of how to treat one another mm -hmm. is rooted in the personality of God. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that, Kevin? Yeah, I think that I think that knowing the personality of God or knowing God and what would Jesus do really? Really, really? I think that's the basis of our morality. And that has always been. That has never changed. And that's that's people's challenges today is we we are so judgmental in what we deem moral or immoral um yet the jesus way is for some is very difficult to follow it's kind of like the pastor that i heard the other day say that being trans is a myth i think that that's an immoral statement like what he did right there and ostracized or isolated anybody that was in the crowd that was trans or had children or friends that were trans. That's the immorality. What would Jesus say about that? Jesus, Jesus would call that person a, a Pharisee and get off the stage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So I think so, that what we deem morality is is different than what morality actually is. I'm not sure if I was supposed to deconstruct uh, the Christian worldview, but I think we very much <laughs> um, to look at the way that truth has come about um, before industrial evolution and really before um, scientific query, there was no need for the idea of absolute truth. And so as, as we moved into a, a realm that, that science became stronger and stronger, and even though the church was funding most scientific uh, insights and, and advancements, uh, there's a large, large contingent that rejected this because it took the power away from the centralized uh, church, be it Catholic or Protestant. And the reaction to that for, for the Catholic church was to put more emphasis and more power into the position of the Pope, where Protestantism put more power and emphasis on scripture that the bible held the most absolute truth that the bible is is the is is key to life that it's life's um rule book i think i've seen before yeah there's a lot of stuff in there that i wouldn't want to live by um but that's that's the way that that we have responded to truth being taken away from the position and authority to to truth being there and so there was this priest his name was william of ockham and this is i think the start of all of all of this all of the ideas of scientific and technological advances but also seeing that that god was not behind everything and so if a rock was rolling on a hill, Occam, William of Occam said that probably it just rolled down, that that there was not some demon or angel pushing the, the rock down the hill. And so the Occam's razor that mm-hmm. um, William of Occam was a priest and Occam's razor is, is what came from William of Occam, that the easiest and most simple answer is probably the answer. And so... If you stub your toe, you probably just weren't paying attention. There was not some little little demon trying to make you stub your toe. And so that's the, I think, the difference of extreme spiritualism to biblical worldview. And then you move into modernism or structuralism. And so those are what I talked about earlier, where that's a response of truth being taken away from the position of of the church to truth being put in the hands of of every every citizen and so every person and so before 357 uh, AD power and truth was in the position of every person but after Constantine took the took the church and centralized it into a systematic religion that goes into into politics 
um, that is when it changed from from being the power being from the people to now being centralized into one place. William of Ockham then changed that again. And then you get into modernism, which is how do we regain that power again? And that's through more emphasis on scripture, more emphasis on on rules, more emphasis on piety and holiness movements are birthed out of that. What was that? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, you get into was that my uh, time for me to be done? Then you get into that's your little that's your alarm. Yeah. Then you get into postmodernism and post-structuralism, which deconstructionism is a is a form of postmodernism yeah, that we've taken yeah. the modernistic frameworks that were put in front of us and we're like well this isn't right these aren't true power doesn't need to be centralized into inerrancy of scripture is not a thing um well it is, is actually, a thing but it's a made-up thing <laughs> a made-up thing but yeah. so like inerrancy, like that's a really good example of what of what power looks like that if you can say that something is without fault that that becomes your basis of moral understanding where really that thing does have fault and that's to not reconcile what that is is hard and so that's what postmodernism and post reclusion do does is that it attacks and it takes away the scaffolding that we have placed around our false temples of truth then you have the response of those things which is um what i think that we have moved into again which is a reconstruction or a or a constructivism of what do we want the future to look like when we tear down these these empty walls mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think that what you're saying is and alluding to in a lot of ways is just blasting through the bullcrap of like what we've been dished as Christianity because honestly when I hear all of that what I was thinking through is is all of this stuff is just idol like like the making of idols and so like when the Bible becomes like the rule of life well the Bible never was the Bible never says that the Bible is the rule of life it's useful it, it's useful it's good for teaching and reproof and correction but it's not the rule of life. Jesus is my rule of life. So, so I, I look at just the statements that are made is just idolatry. Um, anything that like, uh, like conversion, making that like a proposition or something that is like idolized, that just is not what, you know, needs to be the foundational building block of a worldview. So, what you're saying is as you deconstructed you did deconstruct which is fine you deconstructed the biblical worldview which i think that that's great now where are we headed with all this we're headed to constructing a new worldview that's the point of this is we've had this discussion and i hope you got something out of this tonight where you maybe bits and pieces maybe you were left with more questions than answers which is okay for now 
And, hope you learn. Yeah, and maybe you are confused about certain things, or maybe you've never heard certain things that we talked about tonight before. My hope is over the next handful of weeks that you would be able to be given the thinking space. So we've created this space for you to think and to explore these ideas with us and to ask questions and and maybe uh you know there's no bad ideas no bad questions out there uh there's sometimes you know not so good responses but just asking a question is is a good idea so where we're headed next week is we are headed right into the first development according to leo the leo apostle the atheist who's going to develop our framework of worldview turning it into a biblical, real biblical worldview, I guess, where we're going to take an honest look at the world, a real honest look at the world and what that looks like and how to how do we take an honest look at the world around us. That's next week's topic. So that's all the time we have for now. And thanks, everybody, for joining us. I appreciate our uh co-hosts tonight Sharia and Jake thank you for joining us and all of your input and your research and your study for this tonight and next week we will be here same time same place Thursday at 8 o'clock we hope that you join us and you're come with your questions um, maybe you can think all week about what we talked about and then write some things in the chat and we can answer those as we go along so have a wonderful evening and good night everybody thanks for joining us good night